listener production. Before we start, a warning. What you're about to hear involves sexual abuse against children. Listener discretion is advised. Some details have been changed to protect the identities of victim survivors. Police have also obscured some methodologies used to catch child abuse perpetrators so as to not compromise ongoing investigations. I'm Akim Dev. I'm the father of two daughters, one still young and one grown up. And I'm a documentary maker. The story I want to tell you is kind of every parent's worst nightmare about the worst people committing the worst type of crime. You see, I've spent years documenting how secret organised criminal child abuse networks are growing and how they're learning to avoid detection. And it all started when I came across a case that happened right here in Australia. Another shocking child sex scandal. So the kingpin of a global child porn network. His offending wasn't discovered until a global police operation. It's a worldwide evil like he'd never seen before. When I started out, I'll be honest, I had no idea what I was getting into. As a documentary maker, I knew there was a story here about how the internet is presenting a new enormous threat to our kids. But as a dad, like so many other parents, my first instinct was to switch off. It was just too hard to hear. But after years of following this story, what I know is this. By turning away, we'll never understand the greatest threat facing children today. And now, we've got to learn how to fight it. This is The Children in the Pictures. Episode 1, Down the Rabbit Hole. To tell you how I got here, I've got to tell you what happened first. This story reminds me of the butterfly effect. How a small discovery on the other side of the world led to a revolutionary new way of fighting back against child abuse right here in Australia. And to understand how that happened, we need to rewind to 2010, to a police operation in Toronto, Canada, called Project Spade. To the Toronto cops are watching a warehouse owned by a man called Brian Way. Brian has a production company called Azov Films. It's named after a sea in Ukraine. That's where a lot of the children in his movies are from. He was actually quite the business guy, so he really understood the business model of making something exclusive and the idea that you won't see these boys anywhere else other than Azov Films. I'm speaking to the woman who knows this case best. So my name's Lisa, L-I-S-A. B-E-L-A-N-G-E-R, Belanger is my last name. It's like I'm testifying. (laughs) Um, And then I'm a detective and I work for the Toronto Police Service. I've just come from the police headquarters in downtown Toronto to meet the officers who had witnessed the start of this butterfly effect. Lisa's out of the office. She's chosen an innocuous spot to meet, a local rec centre. There's kids playing basketball. It's hard to spot Lisa amongst the crowd of mums, 
She's not your obvious pick as an expert in Eastern European child exploitation material, but she's analysed hundreds of hours of the videos that were sold by Brian Way. It was, it was all uh, nude children, nude boys. They were all between the ages of 11 and 13, so prepubescent. Um, and they were filmed in uh, saunas in the Ukraine, on beaches, doing, I guess, what they would call, like, innocent... Uh, I'm putting my fingers up in quotation. Um, and then... Um, but for the most part, the filming was done at a distance. But, yeah, definitely... Lisa tells me that in the beginning, the Azov videos don't depict overtly sexual acts with children. Brian Way called them nudist artistic films. It's a brazen attempt to fall just on the legal side of Canadian law. He found that formula of enough nudity that he felt could attract customers. And I think the customers convinced themselves that it was okay to buy it. Brian Way's been getting away with this stuff for years. So long, in fact, that his customers feel confident enough to pay with their credit card. The business is making millions of dollars. In the early videos, the kids are filmed from a distance. But now, tastes are changing. When Brian Way and Asa Film started working with the photographers directly, and I read 600,000 emails that showed that increasing pressure to isolate them more, do more close-ups. The one photographer was originally filming them with their underwear on, and he convinced him to have them take off their underwear, and he was getting them to play with different props or toys. Brian Way's emails to photographers in Ukraine say a lot about him as a businessman, but they also reveal an even darker side. As the relationship built with the photographers, he did get more and more comfortable talking about which boys he liked better, what he liked about them, and it was almost like gossip about, you know, oh, the customers don't like this boy anymore. If they hit puberty, in fact, there's emails to that effect, that once they hit that age, they weren't going to sell. By now, Toronto cops have seen enough of Brian Way's films, and they're convinced. It's crossing a line into what a court might find to be child exploitation. So that's when I typed up my search warrant. The police had been watching Brian Way coming and going from a large warehouse in Toronto. He had a pretty strategic building on this corner of Park Lawn and uh, the Queensway. And in the back of the building was where his was. And he had this um, garage door. And when the garage door would open, it was a big cement wall. The police have literally hit a wall with their surveillance. They have to go in. A team of officers surround the warehouse. Detective Constable Janelle Blackadder is there that day. She sees an opportunity. He'd just come out for a coffee and it was like, we gotta do this now. It's our best option. We can get him before he can do anything. The police move fast. They arrest Brian Way. Dana Boyko is one of the cops on the ground. They race up to the roller door. When the door slid open, I'll never forget it. We all, it was kind of like an, an audible silence. And then, oh shit. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. 
because there was so much. It was a warehouse of child pornography. And we stayed there for three days. So 24 hour shifts where we worked all the way around. So yeah, we physically had to seize all of those movies. Janelle and her crew are moving literally truckloads of this stuff. We would just back up and just load everything on and it would leave and then it would come back and <laughs> we just go over and over again. The team spent six months in a secure windowless room, watching every video and analysing the meticulous records Brian Way had kept. It's a huge cache of traceable contacts for men buying child exploitation material from all over the world. Lisa Boulanger can see it's a goldmine of evidence. And, you know, where the majority of his customers were from, I think it was like 45 countries, we gave them the entire history of all the customers. And on her list were some pretty prominent names causing scandals around the globe. Breaking news, first at six, a senator's chief of staff led away from his home in handcuffs. Scandal in recent weeks when a Social Democrat MP was suspected of buying images of a paedophilic nature. They were politicians, they were priests, they were pediatric doctors, headmasters at schools. They tended to be found out to be a hands-on abuser, sort of somehow exploiting children, not just buying the stuff from Azov films. This investigation was dubbed Project Spade. To date, the project as a whole has saved 386 children from sexual abuse worldwide. This alone is spectacular. The arrest of the abusers was a success, sure. But behind those headlines, there's something much more significant hidden in the Brian Way records. They don't know it yet, but the police have just found the key to unlocking one of the biggest child abuse networks ever seen. What Lisa and her team have uncovered is a breakthrough. The Project Spade data is sent to police around the world, and the details of a few Queensland customers land on the desk of John Rouse at Task Force Argos. I've been hearing a lot about Task Force Argos for a few years. They're an elite crew of online child abuse investigators based in downtown Brisbane. They're considered to be some of the best in the business. John Rouse is the head of the unit, and he's getting quite a reputation for his plain speaking in the media about the dangers of online child abuse. It's 2016. I look up Queensland Police to cold call John on their public number. Surprisingly, they put me through and he picks up. John is polite, but plenty busy. He tells me his team is doing some of the best work they've ever done. That, that team has ever done. Then he lets me down gently. John can't talk now, but he says to try him again in six months. He might be able to talk to me then. But even before I called John, I'd been doing my own research. Because, look, as a documentary maker, if you want to find out about something, you never just go through the official channels. We are anonymous. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us. I make contact with Anonymous the infamous hacking group. They're the guys that wear the Guy Fawkes masks and hack big corporations like PayPal and Sony, government agencies, Scientologists, 
pretty much anyone they think is up to no good. And back in 2011, they find a supervillain, an online child abuse site called Lolita City. Anonymous are riled up. They post a video to YouTube. It's pretty Hollywood. Take a listen. The growing trade of child pornography has become a major problem. Underneath the action movie soundtrack and the Wizard of Oz computer-generated voice, Anonymous are angry that their territory, the encrypted part of the internet called the Darknet, has been taken over by child abuse networks. Unfortunately, a potentially benevolent resource has been corrupted by these sick and sadistic abominations of the world. Many of us have lingering traumatic images of the material that these pedophiles were hiding on the darknet. And so, they take them on and shut down Lolita City. This is our message, for we will never turn a deaf ear upon the screams of innocent children. So how do you get in touch with Anonymous anyway? I reach out to them through their YouTube account. I'm straight up with them. I tell them who I am a documentary maker and a father who wants to understand the threat from these hidden worlds. And they suss me out for a few months. Eventually, they tell me they're going to take me on an excursion. They literally take over my computer. As I follow the moving cursor on my screen, they take me inside my first darknet child abuse site. What I'm seeing is unspeakable. So many children, some the same age as my youngest kid. Horrific abuse. It literally causes me to black out. It's 2016. I'm walking the corridors of the police HQ in Brisbane, Queensland. The headquarters has an 80s kind of a vibe. Salmon-coloured walls, green carpet, a lot of gold balustrading. Detective Inspector John Rouse, the head of Task Force Argos, has finally agreed to speak to me. Argos. I know I've heard that name before. Maybe from a high school textbook? A check. It's a character in Greek mythology. Argos Penopides. It means all-seeing. Argos was a giant guard with eyes all over his body and head. He could see everything. And John tells me that's what Argos was shooting for right from the start. So when the unit was set up, it was initially uh, formed to target institutionalised sexual abuse um, across you know, the, the Catholic Church, for example. And then the internet happened. And with it, came a tsunami of child exploitation material shared online. It's just a wave that hits you every single day that you come in. John's office is full of memorabilia from a long and storied career fighting against these crimes against children. There's hats and badges from police departments from all over the world. Citations and awards. John's been at Argos for most of his career but he's never forgotten what it felt like to get started investigating some of the worst crimes imaginable. I vividly remember the phone call, actually, where they told me I was being assigned to the child abuse unit. I was 
pretty shocked actually. I'd never had any dealings with uh, the exploitation or abuse of kids. I had a very young daughter at that stage and I remember the reaction of the person who told me that, going, oh, you'll be right, everybody goes there, it'll be fine. Now that's a really, that's a polar opposite view to what we would do today if somebody expressed any concerns with a young child, we wouldn't do that, but hey, this is the 80s. Since then, he's watched how the nature and scale of crimes against children keep changing and growing online. You might have heard it called child pornography, but John would never call it that. It just astounds me that people can still refer to, in many cases, the violent, horrendous rape of a child as pornography. There's been a very strong international movement to eradicate those words from the law enforcement vernacular when we're speaking publicly particularly because it just really does not describe what we're dealing with. If you think about pornography, pornography is in a dictionary context anyway, images by nature that are designed to cause arousal. So when we start calling the image of a child being violently raped child pornography, you would understand that we are distorting what is actually happening here. John's whole MO is to understand exactly what's happening online. And at 4.30am every morning, he gets out of bed to face it all again. In most cases, I've been dealing with work that's come in overnight anyway because it's a 24-7 space. And just kick off the day, I get about an hour of, <laughs> an hour of silence before I, you know, everyone starts rolling in. And then just, you know, we have multiple, multiple operations that are running it at any given time that are both within our jurisdiction and at an international level. And in 2013, the international operation hitting John's desk is Project Spade. The Toronto police send Argos data from the warehouse bust and John starts looking into Brian Way's customers based in Queensland. If that leads to the execution of a criminal search warrant, our investigators are told that that is the key to the door. The door this Toronto tip-off leads to is a ramshackle residence within driving distance of the Argos office in Brisbane. The name the team is working with is Mr Smith. So Mr Smith was one of the ones which definitely purchased some of this exploitation and, yeah, so we had pretty much enough for a search warrant. That's Libor Yock. He's on the investigating team at Argos and he's keen to get out of the office. Libor volunteers to do a door knock on Mr Smith's property. Smith's place is creepy. There's makeshift wires to the roadside, junk everywhere. Not a place to hang around if you can avoid it. It was like uh, quite a decent block of land, but it's just all overgrown and a bit of a dodgy house uh, and nobody home. You would go to the front door and you could see it wasn't used. Please search warrant! Open the door! And it wasn't obvious why, but then on the side there was another door, but it was just half covered with like a board, so you would sort of squeeze through inside. But yeah, we were just banging on everywhere, no one home. Libor's been on the road all day without a toilet break, and nature's calling, so he finds a nearby bush. 
and halfway through, this man in uh, camo gear comes right in front of me. I don't know if I hit him, maybe I did, maybe he was hiding there and he got a bit wet. But there was Mr. Smith. He was actually hiding in the bushes for a couple of hours waiting for us to go away. The game is up for Mr. Smith. Argos enter his house to gather evidence. Argos need full access to this computer, but Smith is refusing to give up his password. Unfortunately for Smith, he's left login details in an unencrypted text document. He might be living in a dump, but it turns out he's taken a lot of care with his collection. So he just had so much time to just collect and collect, so there were terabytes of uh, material. Do you know how many videos fit in one terabyte? Images and videos. Around 500 hours worth of movies. I think he was cataloging it, so he would have like nudist and and soft and hard and so on and uh, but yeah just so much so that was like straight up when I saw that that was the initial uh, I will give it to Paul because this is nicely catalogued and there should be some new stuff he didn't see before. The Paul he's talking about is Paul Griffiths the head of Victim ID at Argos. He's a former Manchester cop who used to run Victim ID for Britain's National Crime Agency. He's a world leader in identifying victims in exploitation images. Liebel came and saw me and said, yeah, this guy we went and saw last night, the search warrant we executed, you really want to have a look at his stuff. Um, He's got stacks and stacks and stacks of material. And all of it potentially useful to the victim identification team at Argos. He's got a lot of encryption on there, a lot of his material's encrypted. Uh, He had DVDs, actually, with encrypted content on, uh, but stacks of encrypted material. And he's also on tour. Um, He's active on Darknet. For those of you who aren't geeks, Tor, T-O-R, is the browser software that allows you to access the Darknet. And then I also found documents on his hard drives that were basically lists of user account credentials, so username and password for various sites, some of those sites being sites that were Tor sites. These sites, or boards as they're called, are meeting places for people who want to keep their online activities hidden from the prying eyes of police. And in 2013, the biggest site is a message board called The Love Zone. I've got to tell you, I've been following this for years and I've never been able to publicly say its name. There's been a long-standing Australian court order that stopped any media outlet from mentioning it. So we sought special permission from the court. And now we're bringing you the story behind the love zone so you can learn about the dangers of the dark web and those that operate there. This group viewed themselves as very elite, um, wanting to build the biggest library, the, the biggest source of child abuse material in the world, but doing it in a very secretive and a very clandestine way. But turns out Mr Smith isn't clandestine enough. He's also saved his access credentials for the love zone on his computer. So we were testing those usernames and passwords and we didn't even know that they were all going to work. And then you log in and all of a sudden, you know, there's line after line after line of uh, forums that you've got access to on the board. Paul and the Argos team realise Mr Smith has high-level access to some of the most restricted forums in the love zone. And he's just delivered Argos the keys to this sordid kingdom. So, yeah, that was very 
confronting. You think, wow, we actually have got access to this. And then you think, God, how are we actually going to read all of this? How are we going to go through all of this and make some kind of sense of it? Because previously we'd not had any idea what was inside. And now we were in and we were in as VIPs. Next time on The Children in the Pictures. Welcome to the Love Zone. You are now registered as a full member on TLZ. Argos are in, but time is ticking. You will need to post a contribution within 30 days to maintain your membership. Once you got online, you then had to keep posting every 30 days. You had to upload gigabytes of material, otherwise you lost your membership. It's a race to save the children in the pictures. This podcast is dedicated to all victims and survivors of sexual crimes against children and those that stand against the sexual exploitation of children. If you know a child in immediate danger, please contact police. Call triple zero. For non-urgent police assistance, contact 131 If you need immediate support, contact the Kids Helpline on 1-800-55-1800 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. For more information and help, go to childreninthepictures.org or head over to the ACE site, the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, accce.gov.au. This podcast is a listener production made by the Factual Original Podcast team. Head of Factual and Drama for Listener Original Podcasts is Jennifer Goggin. Co-produced in collaboration with DNX Media. Produced and reported by me, Akim Dev, and Simon Nasht. Sound design, composition, and audio production by Darcy Thompson. Production assistance and theme composition by Matthew Dwyer. Additional audio production by Michael Letho. Our series producer is Romy Scher. Fact check by Bonnie Lavelle. Factual original podcast executive producers are Belinda Lopez and Emma Lancaster. Queensland Police were consulted for this production. Thanks to Argos and the other global child protection agencies who shared their stories with us. Special thanks to Dr. Asa Kasbaum and Dr. Jacqueline Goldstein for their guidance and expertise. And if you're concerned about your own thoughts and feelings or behaviours towards children, there is support. Stop It Now is an anonymous Australian helpline that aims to support adults who have sexual thoughts about children to prevent offending. The helpline is also for parents, professionals, family and community members who come across child sexual abuse. If you're worried about an adult or young person's sexual behaviour offline or online, you can call the anonymous helpline on 1-800-01-1800 or use a live chat or secure messaging service. To find out more, head to stopitnow.org.au.